This episode of the Good and the Bad and the Geeky podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download at www.audibletrial.com forward slash goodbadgeeky. Audible.com, over 85,000 titles to choose from for your iPod or MP3 player. Warning! The podcast you're about to hear is very filthy. We say naughty words you would use as an adult anyway. It'll cause you not to eat your vegetables, and your mom generally thinks it's a bad idea. Any moment of the show that has any similarity to the history of any person living or dead, real or fictional, to real events are entirely unintentional and coincidental. Unless we're specifically noted otherwise in the cast and crew credits, all celebrity voices are impersonated, and new celebrity has endorsed any aspect of the show. D4K Studios in Columbus, Ohio. It's the good, the bad, and the geeky. Hey everyone, Don't welcome. Call me a dipshit. <laughs> welcome out to another episode of the Good, the Bad, and the Geeky. Um, uh, along with me, I'm Nick Nigel. Along with me, as always, is uh, Dipshit and John Batin. John Batin. That was pretty You're good. Dipshit. <laughs> You're dipshit. <laughs> And we have a uh, we have a very awesome show for you all. Uh, uh, first off, uh, let's get out of the way. Big thanks to TalkSuperstation.com. We air uh, every uh, Tuesday night, Wednesday morning around midnight or so. What? What's Nathan? He's over here shitting his pants. Are you shitting <laughs> your pants? We may have to take a break. Uh, oh my god! <laughs> Not right now. We're good. Let's, uh, okay. Let, let, we have let, a great, let, we have let, a great let, show. Everybody's been working really hard. The staff. <laughs> And our studio. They, 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 and they got your water right this time, because that's been a constant complaint of the, every episode uh-huh. you've been in, is that your water is it, not... Dasani. It's Dasani, right. So uh, so thanks, because uh, like, they gave you Avion last time, and you were a little pissed about that. Mm-hmm. You didn't like the Avion. I thought it was Avion. Avion, Avion, you know, the same thing. Not really. I just know you... I'm basing it off a movie. I, I, I just know that you were not pleased. And we're all about pleasing you, Nathan. See, that's what I said. Fiji water. Fiji, I'll do. I love Fiji water. Fiji Get me some Fiji. You know, that's the, the first time I worked out, I, I was just so thirsty for water. And I remember uh, my dad gave me a little bit of leftover of his. And I was like, oh, I, this is, I'm still thirsty. So he's like, fine, buy some water from the, from the, from the gym. So I bought Fiji water. I used the first thing I saw. And it was like, I didn't realize how more expensive it was. Bought it though. I never had water that actually tasted good. Yeah, it's it, good. It, it does. Like you can, it, there is a difference in like Dasani. Yeah. Like I love Dasani. We I mean, are, my we God, we are discussing water. We are discussing. <laughs> <laughs> and on tonight's show, we're discussing water. <laughs> you have nothing to say about this. It Mr. really does taste like you're drinking from the mountains. Yes, a Fiji. A Fiji. Fiji doesn't have mountains. It's an island. It does. Actually, it does. Mount Fiji. It's a mountain in Japan, which is named after. A set of mountains on an island, the Fiji Islands. Mountains. Really, that's the only thing you, you took away from that. That's the that's yeah. the only thing. The Dasani only thing. isn't even from a spring. Really? Yeah. yeah, actually, it's bottled water. It's just First tap off, water that's yeah, sit through tap a filter water that's been filtered, and it's it's, it's basically sewer water that's been. Yeah, probably. It's like, yeah, it's just some. A lot of water is like that. In fact, I know. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, all of but it. But Dasani is done by Coke. Yeah. <laughs> Aquafina okay. is Pepsi brand. Right. Exactly. Okay. 
I feel like we've learned a lot today about water. Am, and, am, uh, dip shit. And, uh, speaking of, of tasty water, um, yeah, that's from the we last will, episode. we will have, <laughs> we will have water and pop and drinks and pizza and prizes on the Saturday 9th, uh, at Pack Rat Comics at 9 p.m. Good the Band of Geeky live and edited our first live show. All the proceeds go to American Cancer Society, uh, Relay for Life. So, uh, we'll all be there. Um, we may have a special. Oh, we have to go. What? We have to go. Yeah. (laughs) Bullshit. (laughs) Whatever. Oh my God. Really? After we had this conversation last Tuesday, you're like, yes, I'm excited. I will be there. I will. I, I, because I've already checked his Cobb schedule. I've already checked his schedule. That's how I'm I'm prepared for Nathan. (laughs) I checked his schedule. He's like, yeah, anything can happen. Damn it. We're number one. We're, okay. We're a pretty big deal. Anybody else here get invited to go to England because you're awesome at something you do? Raise your hand. But Son of a bitch. When? But, 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 but All time. When, All time. When, so sincerely, you might be leaving for England in June. It can happen. I think you're Don't just... Don't pay fucking. for our flight. It did last time. I think you're sort of fucking with me just a little bit. Not a lot, because I believe you. Actually, I saw the date and I was worried that it was Father's Day weekend. It's not. It's not. Oh, what is Father's Day weekend? I think it's, it's the weekend it's after. The following weekend. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's when the actual relay thing is, and I was yeah. like, I'm going to be tired, and I'm not yeah. doing that. So, so it worked out. Well, if it, if it was Father's Day weekend, I would not be able to be there. <laughs> I, well, but it's not. Why? I I wouldn't be huh? either. Why? Because it's a busy weekend. Yeah. He has a dad. He has a dad. No one wants to go to your shit ass restaurant for Father's Day. Right. Here, Dad. York, rest, York Steakhouse, by the way, shit. fantastic, Happy wonderful Father's salad bar. Um, God. I'm but, lying. It's but yeah, if you'd like to check out delicious. our kind host, the Fine. whole the whole point of this is our kind host, Pack Rat Comics. www.packratcomics.com. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. How could our staff let this happen? so yeah we'll have prizes it'll be food fun all that stuff and of course we'll have a live show audience participation all that shit Uh so uh yeah check it out it'll be really fun i had a great idea but i'm not telling you what it is yet i participated all right oh okay all right well okay let's imagine that time has passed and john's not here he's wearing an invisible john cloak so it's just you and me matter of fact or no he's he's jimmy 2.0 so i have to act gay john there you go so I just get to pretend that John's not here because that's like Christmas. How's that Christmas? Because I don't like him. Oh, okay. <laughs> Clearly. All right. So no. So what, what was your idea? What idea? Oh my god! Again, short-term memory. You got to pretend. You have I'm no not idea here. what you just said. For you weren't going to tell me, but I'm not here now, so you can tell. It. You can tell us, the listeners out there. Oh. Oh, the chair thing. Oh, so put numbers underneath the chair. No, what the fuck are you talking about? Like literally seconds ago, you said, I'm going to, I have a great idea. I have a wonderful idea, but you know what? I don't want to fucking say it because John's. Yeah, it was for the live chair. Apparently the chair thing is what he's talking about. All right. He hasn't told us yet. We will. Okay. That was it. (laughs) We'll, we'll talk about that later. Not on the show. I was psyching him out if he was here. Is to get him thinking about it. Oh, okay. Okay. Gee. Jimmy, shame that you're not John. <laughs> All right. Well, we have uh, we we've had we've had a, we have a catalog. We have a catalog of of things to read. We have a lot of stuff to read. And before we get to our special guest, Sean Ackerman, 
um, who directed uh, The Diary of Preston Plummer, who really graciously took time out of his schedule to uh, speak with me uh, for the podcast. We'll get to him in a bit, but we need, for you guys out there who've sent us emails, we keep saying, don't worry, we'll get to it, we'll get to it. We got Mailbag Day. That's right, Mailbag Day. Yeah. Mailbag Day. All right. Well, um, okay, we got a, an email uh, from uh, Stella regarding the episode. Uh, this is an older episode, but lost from the beginning to the end. Wow, God. Yeah. A long time ago. Right, but it came through us. The way, I, the way this reads, it came from us from a recent guest we had, which is I heard your show thanks to listening to uh, Barbara Barnett, who was uh, we had on Jerome Wetzel TV, talk about house. The episodes I downloaded were The Overcrowded Web of Spider-Man, which is your first episode, John Gets Lost, Morgan Freeman, Toy Story 3, through, what the fuck is that? Toy Story 3, that's the... It's okay, nothing's even capitalized. The, the best of the show, 2010, <laughs> High Tide. By the way, the best of the show, 2010, that's, that was your show, Nathan. High Tide, Moneyball, Chasing Zebras, and wanted to write in and tell you guys a few... You have no idea what, what your show was. The best of what? Best of the podcast, 2010. Best of the show, 2010. We, you hosted that what started the whole three two one okay go all right anyway see Silla, he really cares about your email <laughs> no i'm kidding what i, I can't help that i'm great i don't remember okay uh the show has really changed over what appears to be years and i really like how the show has morphed into something different i recently started watching lost the behest of a family member and i how fitting i finished watching in a week or two before the most recent episode of your podcast Nick touched on it a few times within the most recent uh, Jerome Wetzel TV show with vague fondness. Okay, so my question is, retrospectively, what would you say were your thoughts about the show now that plenty of time has passed for loss, especially for John, since he said he would need to think about it for a bit? I asked because upon checking the archives, I came upon the episode from the beginning to the end of Lost, and I was genuinely touched by Nick's little speech at the end about being a man of science and a man of faith, and with the, show, with the score of the show, it was very fitting. Out of the handful I downloaded, it was by far touching and poignant and showcases why television, no matter if you hate it, lost or not, is an amazing medium for stories as it invokes passion. And what are, and what are the, these lost target commercials John talked about again? I remember this. I, I just, yeah, I, I, oh shit. I, I, yeah, I just remember that too. But, uh, so let's talk about the, the, the commercials first. Yeah. Um, and I don't even remember. I don't remember what I just remember. I wonder if you can find them on YouTube or something. But I, you know what? If we find them on YouTube, we will post them in the show notes, and uh, I'll write a note here yeah. so I can do that. But um, but it was it, basically characters from the show. Man, what was it? It was like uh, the smoke monster came in. Yeah, really, it was more the smoke monster, and you, you show a picture of the beach, and you're like, yeah. oh shit. The show started back up. Oh, it, yeah. I would think that you were thinking that you should come back. Okay. And then, like, I think it was something like uh, the dude was like, uh, all right, you need to fight the smoke monster. Fight him with this. And the smoke monster would, guys, like a transition would fly across the screen, and it would, it would very clearly be a Target ad where you could buy, like, uh, a fucking uh, sand pail or something. So yeah. It wasn't that, but it was something. It had to do with the product had to do with what was going on in the scene. Like right. something that would be useful to the characters. Yeah. And they did like two or three of them, like in different commercial breaks. And like every time, and yeah. then you got after the first one, you're like, oh shit, I almost watched an ad. And then you're like, yeah. then you start watching for more of them. Yeah. yeah. It was yeah. pretty cool. Um, but yeah, if I find all of them, I'll post them in the show notes. And the other one that uh, Stella that you asked was the uh, oh, paragraph before, especially for Johnson. He said he would need to think about it a bit. Retrospectively, man, what do you think of the show? Um, I'd like to go back and watch it all again, just because it's... There you I go. Mean, 
But, and it's on Netflix now. Is Netflix, it? Netflix streaming. Yeah, you can watch all of them on Netflix streaming. I don't think the epilogue is on there, which I think you should sort of watch because it ties up like the like the Michael stuff. Yeah. Like Walt and all that and the Hurley Bird and what the all the stations meant or why yeah, little stupid shit like that. But mm-hmm. um yeah. And she also said, Oh, I forgot this. She said, Thanks for your thoughts, enjoyed the show and I listened what I listened to so far, going to subscribe and Stella, we thank you very much because we could tell that someone, a few people subscribed to uh, the podcast. So that, mm-hmm. yeah, so thank you, Stella. Um, and Nate, you want to read the next one? The next email we have. This one's about you. It is about you. I can't you. pronounce that Japanese man's name. It's it's a dog. No, Yume Kojo is it Kajo? You Yume Kojo, is I think. Kojo? Doki Doki Panic. Super Mario Bros. 2 is actually Yume Kojo Doki Doki Panic. <laughs> I can let you know things. <laughs> and that I don't was know who wrote Super Mario 2. Who cares? I think I think I, I don't know. I think I'm, one I'm, of us uh, said. I think either you or I said like no. It was, I just knew that Koji Kondo did all the music for the first one. I have no idea who wrote the second one. I oh no by the way, Mario episode, 2 was one of their worst Mario games of all time. What? Yeah. No. Mario 2 was supposed to technically be Mario 4, if I remember correctly. Yeah, Mario 1 and Mario 3 are the biggest hits. Look at number 2. Who really, who can say Mario 2 was their favorite? Until 3? Yes. No. <laughs> you know, yeah. a- the only reason why 3 was awesome is because you turned into a fucking raccoon. And and they actually made boss battles a little bit more interesting than just... Da-da! <laughs> like, your bows are firing stuff at you. And you go, oh, yeah, and guess what? Your princess is in another castle. I mean, I, that's my opinion. I mean, and also, like, the, the gameplay is completely different almost. Besides the side-scrolling stuff, there is no... You jump on their heads, you can't... You don't stomp on them. You pick them up and throw them, or you can have a pal bar, and... I, I mean, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's not the greatest Mario game ever, but... I mean, it was pretty different. Or, I, I'm Nathan, you you just have a blank expression of, no, you're fucking wrong. I'm just listening. I'm just trying. I have no idea what he's talking about. Well, that's from the episode. Well, it's from episode 164. Well, yeah, I see that. By yeah, maybe you should have read that too. That might help people. Um, from it's from a guy named Dog, D O G G with an exclamation. Dog. Yeah. So you right. So all caps. So thanks, Dog. Uh, oh, and this. Okay, before we get to this next very important part, um, we need to play a clip from a few episodes ago. Um, We've already heard it. No, I want the it listeners again. have not heard it. But let's listen to it again. Previously on the good, the bad, and the geeky. <laughs> anyway, they're only the main bad guys of Lord of the Rings. Are those the ones that grow out of the dirt or mud? Yeah, you know the things that terrorize everybody throughout. Besides the, that, work for Sauron. <laughs> I teach and play sports. Oh come on! Whatever you fucking watch, Lord of the Rings. Rings you dick. do. I remember we went and saw. Was it uh, in the theater? In the yeah. <laughs> and you had their names. Okay, this is you're such. You a don't weird, need to learn all their names. You're orcs are fucking orcs. They're the whole second movie when they're <laughs> fighting each other. I know, right? When they're fighting, like I can guarantee wall. the word orc was only used in that. I will give you a hundred dollars if you can prove the word orc in the second movie was used more than three times. <laughs> okay, well. <laughs> After that episode aired, and that same episode, we have Sam Cass, the guy who created Rock, Paper, Scissors, Lizard, Spock. Sam Cass, who we interviewed, wrote in and said, hey, guys, 
I didn't have time to listen to it ahead of time, but just synced it down via iTunes and listen. Man, do I sound geeky. <laughs> Thanks for inviting me, though. It was fun. By the way, if you guys have arguments about what's in a movie, this is a pretty handy site. Gives an address. You can download all the subtitles in most popular movies. The word orc was mentioned 29 times in The Two Towers. <laughs> Sam. <laughs> awesome. Nathan, I think he sort of wants his $100, That's dude. Awesome. I well, think- if you listen to the clip, I never, I didn't say it. For the audience. Oh, oh. Oh, well, then I'll take it. Oh, yeah. It, well, I, think, I think it's an even bounty yeah, of 50 I think 50. That, Yeah, we I think it, it is. I think we should do that. I think you should do that. You know and what? I will, this, you'll, this will just I put will on your tab. I of currency that is being used. Oh, I will say, is this going on your tab for like when we go we to the movies? Use, we are going to use elfish money. Elfish, yes, because that fucking exists. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, I'm the like I'm one of the, the I'm the biggest geek here. No, no, the traveler has not come. He will not fucking stand for this shit. Are you a god? No, I am. <laughs> <laughs> so I get a pick. Okay, well, uh, uh, Nathan, you can read uh, the uh, the next few for episode 161. Uh, these are more emails because again, we got a lot of emails coming in, and we want to get through all of them. Are you having me read these because you think they're going to spark something? Other than what no, not at all. The whole point of mailbag day is we read the mail. Okay, Okay, listeners, take the time to emails about episode one sixty one after the rain. Micah writes in and asks, "Heard show online and sort of funny. How come someone not know that Jennifer Hudson is black?" And I believe that's a, a comment made towards Nathan because Nathan, you probably exclaimed, "How can someone not know?" Or you didn't know Jennifer Hudson was black. You your whole argument was she doesn't I sound black. I have seen her commercial though for Jenny Craig, and she, I it's do Weight Watchers, but that's okay. I don't care. I was close. <laughs> I made an effort. <laughs> hey, there you go. Anyway, you go. she is not only extremely pretty; she does have a very good voice. I just didn't know she was black. Honestly, it's not racist. Somebody says their name is Jennifer. Yes, but... You don't think of a black person. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's not racist. I'm just saying. Well, I, when I think of Monica, I don't think of a white woman. It's a lie. I mean, if I were to I say... I don't care until I see their face. Yeah. I went to school with a guy named Deshaun, and he was a white, dorky guy with glasses. I didn't expect his name to be Deshaun. I know. Okay. But how come that's okay, but it's not okay for me to think Jennifer Hudson? Double standards. Anything that's okay for me and John's fine, but if it happens to you, it's out the fucking door. All right. Enjoy your elfish money. I will. Number two. That would be elfish. Oh, I think I thought it would be elvish. I don't know. It's my money. I'm, oh, no. Elfish? It's actually ours, to be fair. Yeah. I will enjoy ours. your elfish money. Can, can you put it in a little bag, like that the one that yeah. robbers throw over their sack with a little dollar sign on it? That'd be sweet. Put in a fur bag. A fur bag. All right. Shosh Watt. Slapping in the face with my sack. Shosh Watt says, as a parent of three small children, it is easy to forget once they had once they hit five or six, sometimes what goes on when you're not around or if they are in good hands. What Nathan did was very brave and harrowing. I bet that's because I was amazing one day and saved a child's life. I like you, person. Shoshwat. Shoshwat. <laughs> I'm going to assume this is Nicholas, just spelled funny. Nicholas writes, <laughs> I'm sorry. That's funny. You're, you're fine. Good morning. My wife and I have followed the show up to episode five. Can you tell us who does the music for this series? Thanks in advance. I have no idea. 
What music were we using back then? Was it the was it the little this Steven? This is the original, right? Like the very first five. These episodes? the first five episodes of the No Name Show. I don't even know if I would have been on those. You you didn't? I think by episode eighteen or twenty because you came yeah. in. I think at uh, which is one of our most popular Steven. episodes. Little hey. Steven, little Steven, yeah, little Steven, the Disciples of Soul, which is yeah. uh, uh, inside of me. Boom. I arranged that. It's a good song. It's a fantastic song. I love that song. I don't remember doing that for the first five episodes, though. Yeah, we did for the first five episodes, and then uh, when oh, also I didn't arrange it. That came later because I did that for the Christmas episode. You, well, that was the whole thing. Is that being it was it was one of the original songs we had on the show. Part of the Christmas episode is I thought it would be cool to have that have you do that in there. Yeah. That way, it, it's sort of like. You know, so to answer his question, we can't answer his question. Sure we can. No, we can't. We, we just did. we just did. Oh, did we? Little Steven, the Disciples of Soul. Matter of fact, Little oh. Steven is the guy from uh, the Easy Street Band who's in The Sopranos and has his own show, Lily. Yeah. He always, you know, has like a was it a do rag on his fucking head, even though he's fucking Italian. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> I, I have no problem with the guy. He's actually a very. I, I mean, I like that song a lot. I don't. I never heard the rest of the album. And it's a very hard album to get a hold of. So. Um, Nick, why don't you read the next one? All right. In regards to episode 162, Jerome Wetzel TV returns. YOLO writes, Yo, Nick, your writing articles suck Tolstoy's donkey cock. P.S. John said BJ, not PJ. I don't know what that's about. Oh, PJ was in the show, and then we were all saying, like, uh, we, or no, Nathan said, you said BJ. Oh, He's like, yeah, I didn't I say BJ. BJ. Yeah. Did I? I don't know. I don't know. Well, you know what? the first time I was writing, you were wrong. And yo, Nick, your articles. Other than Orc. Your writing articles. I think you just made up a number. Well, I didn't know Tolstoy had a donkey cock. I thought he was a a big fat Russian man with a little tiny I agree with YOLO. YOLO. So you you believe Tolstoy has a big donkey cock that is available for sucking? Your writing sucks it. Well, I'm. Yeah. I have no idea. I think the fact that, like, a famous star just emailed you to tell you how cool your writing is. Maybe Trump's that. I think it sort of does, but we'll get to that in a bit. Oh, yeah. did, I, uh, did I blow something? No, no, you're fine. No, right. you're, you're perfectly fine, sir. Uh, Liz writes in and says, listen to your interview with Ryan Johnson. OMG, he's Australian. Hot. I love Fairly Legal. It is one of my favorite things to do on Saturday mornings while I eat my cereal. Watch that show. You don't do a show. You watch a show. I'm sorry. That's rude. But upon listening to the interview. Oh, my. I'm sorry. That's rude. I got a sense of a love triangle. Seriously, I guess I'm not a fan of love triangles on some shows. Leave that to the teenager shows. But I'll still watch because I love the cast. But I sure hope it's not better. Than, I sure hope it's better than it sounds. Um, and I, I love that show. I used to not like it. Uh, that was part of my whole thing that got him on the show sort of was I – reviewed it saying man this is a way better show now than it was last season and ryan's like hi mate i really love your review can i do the show actually he didn't say that i asked him and he said sure on twitter by the way yeah yeah the only thing is i felt really bad is that um i yeah it said that in the intro of the episode but like i i call in on skype we were having skype problems with skype it was so fucking embarrassing just because yeah i had to call call and he literally gave this nice you could tell he was really is a sincere five minute long answer, like not not in a not in a five minute like it's a bad long yeah. boring way, but like you know it, it's, it's like, captured your attention. It does. The only problem is I just it, and and that it, yeah. it, and and that's when Sarah saw he it uh, and you know that's really the basis of the cat. Yeah, it was horrible. I felt so bad and had a <laughs> tail between my legs. Call myself. 
Uh, Allison writes, heard the interview with Ryan. It was pretty darn good. And Ben sort of annoys me on Fair Legal, though. But his, this interview and your recent review of the series made me give it a second go. And you're right. Being her exact opposite makes the chemistry more palpable. Love it. Um, I'm glad you feel that way, Allison. The Shield Brothers emails us with, what exactly happened in the beginning of the interview with Kevin from Cougar Town? That show was really good nerdy episode, but the opening was just weird. Did you guys prank him? Details. Really dug the most recent few episodes. Good interview with Kevin, too. Turtle Power Guys. <laughs> um, Kevin really got me to nerd up hardcore. Like, literally, I listened to that episode, and I was like, Jesus, I'm more nerdy than I am with you three, or you two, yeah. in the room. Um, but pretty much, uh, we talked Ninja Turtles, but no, Kevin called Skype. After I did sound tests, I called uh, Jimmy, I called my father, I called a few other people, Charmé, I called a few other people, and I was just doing sound tests, recording. Mm-hmm. I've done that with you before. Yeah. And when, we done, we, we, when we've all done Skype, and it worked fine about an hour before, right as when he was supposed to call me, nothing. And I thought, oh, man, did he get booked or something again? It's just, you know, oh, I, I'm starting to start freaking out. And I'm looking, I was like, because we did Matt, Matt Nix, remember, there was an issue yeah. where... Even though it showed I had time left, it didn't reactivate my Skype account, which is embarrassing. But I had to quickly pay it, and then Matt could call us. Oh, that wasn't that at all. I we, I was current, up to date, yeah. you know, respectable bill payer. And uh, oh fuck's sake, uh, he had to call again. He had to call my cell, and uh, and literally he called the number, and he got some old man, and he and this old man kept saying hello. And he literally thought it was like one of you guys on the prank. Oh, jeez. Like, and he's like, literally, this is the funniest fucking thing. I, oh, I think you guys are clever. You guys are so clever. Yeah. So, and then the guy's name was uh, Nixon. Uh, William Nixon. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It's just, yeah. It's just, yeah. It was just really bizarre. And that's, and <laughs> I think that's why oh, I had John and me do the intro to Ryan Johnson because something, another yeah. technical glitch happened and I didn't talk about that when we did the Kevin episode, because it was just literally, yeah. Yeah. So, um, bum, 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 bum. all right, well, that's those. And then, uh, John, you want to take the next few? Sure can. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, McThird Nate writes, I love USA as a channel and almost all its shows. I love burn notice, white collar suits, etc., 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 etc. Sadly, I, however, sadly, however, I think it's weakest shows. <laughs> Both in numbers watched and creativity, are the women-led shows Fairly Legal and Necessary Reference. I watch Fairly Legal because I enjoy Sarah Shahi. 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 But I didn't love her character to begin with. She's a mess and can't hold her down. Hold down her nice BF and now love Triangle. The last thing this show slash her character needs needed, IMO, is a sluttying up. This love triangle and a few other things have me thinking. The new showrunner is ruining what little the show had going for it. But after listening to the reviews on Examiner and interview with Ben, I'm going to give the show another shot. I'm just afraid they will take away the subtle, subtle and sweet aspect of the show. The only thing I think it had going for it. Well, thanks, Big Third Nate. I, I hope I think I think it's a good show. I mean, that's why we had him on the show. Yeah. 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 Um, Ashley writes, wow. 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 <laughs> you boys got super nerdy, nerdy in that episode. You and Kevin had, though, had fun and interesting conversation, though. Uh, that was, that was twice. Do it twice, yeah. What's up? After yeah, listening to a few of your interviews, I thought I'd throw it out there that I really would like to hear Kevin on again sometime. That 
could possibly be arranged. All right. Yeah. And maybe we can get all three of us to do the interview with him. Maybe. Maybe. Sure. Uh, Lonnie Ike writes, Cougar Town is my show, and I love it. I think Bill Lawrence and Kevin might not agree with that. Yeah, probably not. Boo to ABC for mistreating it so. With that said, I have never heard a show get that completely nerdy before. And despite my disdain for all that is nerdy, just nerds you, you nerds you. Oh, jeez, why can't I read tonight? <laughs> the conversation was fun, lively, and just funny. Color me surprised. Your Bill Lawrence interview was not bad in her either. Jesus Christ, you can't, I fucking, can't read. fucking read. Keep up the good work. Oh, right. Or something. Oh, thanks. I well, thank. I appreciate it. No, yeah, I. But wait a minute, though. My Bill Lawrence was not bad either. That means the Kevin interview might have been bad. <laughs> what, what, so, so that's like a nice, like, uh, here, you like it? Yeah. Take that. Uh, do you like my compliments? Oh, yeah, thank you, though. I appreciate it. Uh, uh, Nathan, you want to do the next uh, Twitter ones? A few Twitter ones? I forgot how to read, so why don't you do that? Yeah, buddy. My Nisa from Twitter writes, loved it, loved it, loved it. Complete with the immigrant song at the beginning. Love me some Reznor soundtracks. That was in regards to uh, talking about the girl with the dragon tattoo. Which oh. have you seen that yet? No, I haven't. Uh, except for the rape scene. Yeah. Good, good quality filmmaking. All rape is good rape. Right in on that, bitches. <laughs> wow, did you really just fucking say that? <laughs> yeah, you did. Three, two, three, one. two. One. We're not hitting that. Is awful. Oh my god! All right, all right. Sarah86 from Twitter writes says writes and says I want to share one common letter and I still mess it up wow what an informative and awesome interview with Ryan thanks Sarah J Ekra aka Brendan gives us a few thoughts via multiple tweets I liked Alcatraz I liked the plot and the stories that can be told iFox gives it more (laughs) I think he means if Fox but if Fox gives it more of a chance than Firefly, still mad. I think this person is upset. The only thing that I wonder is that could viewers not have the patience for the storyline? Look what happened with Lost. It is a shame viewers don't expect more from their programs. It sucks when a crappy show with Tim Allen outdraws Cougar Town. Yes. And then uh, last few tweets we got. We got Dabbing, Dashing Dervish who tweets, I can't get the Bay-induced image of Michelangelo arriving on Earth and r- writing a meteor yelling Calabunga out of my head. <laughs> uh, yeah. I can't get... Thank you, Dashing Dervish, you motherfucker. I can't get that image out of my head either. Yeah, That's I, why I ran it a whole fucking episode with Kevin Beagle about it. <laughs> the rage that... Yeah, anyway. Let's... Um, did, you heard that, though? The turtles are going to be aliens. They're not ninjas. They're not mutants. Oh, yeah. oh yeah, God. That fucking pissed me off. Um, that, no, I, no, yeah, oh, yeah. Flying Jenny tweets, it's just a bunch of dumb Ninja Turtles. OMG, you're filling my timeline is annoying. Unfollowed. I don't, fuck you, I don't care. <laughs> Ethan Kapler tweets, wow, Michael Bay, I'm holding out hope, but not much. Feel bad for you, dude. Thank you. I, thank you. A little, little, uh, you know, what's that, uh, kindness thrown my way? Mm-hmm. And the Webby tweets, why don't you take those Ninja Turtles and go and follow and fuck yourself? Timeline unclogged. I, that's in regards to a massive uh, Twitter rant I went on when I heard that because I got pissed. I got no, I'm, pissed. I'm shaking my head at these at people that unfollow you because you like. Why did you follow so, me in the first yeah. place? Like at some point, you saw me probably rant about something else. 
Whether it be Cougar Town or what fucking do they think Lo- the point of, what why are they even on Twitter then? If they don't want to see what people have to say. Exactly. I, I don't I, I just don't get that. And I well, I, I can go on rants about the Twitter also, but you know. No, no, yeah. What, what, what was your? Was it shake my head or no, no, no? That was another. No, that was something else. That was just that was the SMH thing. What, what, what were you pissed off about on Twitter? The whole retweeting thing. Yeah, like retweeting is a you got that's something you do with care. Yeah, it's a privilege that you have on Twitter. It is. It's a privilege to retweet stuff. Some people retweet more than others. Some people retweet. Interesting things. Some people retweet other things because they are just not intelligent enough to come up with an original thought. Right. You know. Or they yeah, but, say, and they want to. They just can't think of anything and then they re- retweet it. Yeah. It's very annoying. Yeah. I mean, uh, my, my my thing for retweet. I even felt bad because I think I retweeted like two things that morning and I was like, that's are okay. you pissed at me? No. Like, it wasn't. It, okay. It's not you. Believe me. <laughs> okay. Then I feel so much better. Because, you see, Nathan doesn't even know what we're talking about because he doesn't use fucking Twitter. Like, John doesn't really use Twitter, but he uses Twitter. Yeah. I've been using it more often. I've been using using it more often lately. You have, yeah, which is really... I've actually been communicating back and forth with people from work a lot. (laughs) That's because you're the hit boss. Pretty much. You know what's down with it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, but no, yeah. I bet you anything he he fucks up the tweet. He's tweeting right now. I bet you anything he fucks it up. What are you tweeting? What are you tweeting? My phone's downstairs. But uh, rest be assured, I bet you. I bet he fucks it up. See it. Yeah. What? <laughs> it's a sound a podcast. You can delete tweets. This is fake, and you can trash it. <laughs> He, yeah. he fucked it up. Pretty much. Okay. Well, uh, I think that's that's all of them. We, that's all our emails. And if you like to, uh, we might you know backlog it a little bit. But um, if you'd like to email or write the show, goodbaggeeky at gmail.com, 614-364-4088 if you'd like to leave us a voicemail. Um, yeah. So uh, we're going to go ahead and take a break because we just had a really nice and lengthy mailbag day. And uh, we will be right back with special guest, uh, writer, producer, director of Diary of Preston Plummer, Sean Ackerman, right after this. Wake up, go to work, work, come home, eat dinner, rot your brain out, go to bed, lather, rinse, repeat. Are you tired of an old humdrum life? Tired of things that just weigh you down and depress you? Wouldn't you rather just focus on things that are awesome? Tune into Nutty Bites. Find out what's awesome. Nutty Bites. Nimlas.org slash blog. You know a book I just read? What? The Hunger Games. Oh, that movie was oh. fantastic, but uh, I heard the book was way better. Mm, me too. It was fantastic, actually. I, yeah, I just wish I could read it. I don't have time to read it or any book, really. Yeah, well, it's just hard for Nate and I to, to get a book in because with student teaching and, you know, with my job and everything. I get it, guys. I do. With being married and having a little girl and running a business, I'm busy all the time, too. That is why I listen to audiobooks on my MP3 player. It helps me stay in touch with books I want to read and allows me to fit it in between the rest of my responsibilities. That is why, for some of you listening to the Good, the Bad, and the Geeky podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 14-day trial to give you a chance to check out their service. Oh, wow. I was able to sign up and get a free copy of a game of thrones do they have like a bossy pants by tina fey you bet your sweet bippy they do awesome 
So if you'd like to download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com forward slash goodbadgeeky. Again, that's www.audibletrial.com forward slash goodbadgeeky for your free audiobook. Hey everyone, uh, we're back from the break and we have a uh, very special guest with us on the show. Uh, he is the uh, writer, director, and I believe producer as well of the film Diary of, of uh, Preston Plummer. Uh, we have Sean Ackerman uh, with us. So, Sean, thank you very much for joining us on the show. We greatly appreciate you uh, uh, you being able to take time from your schedule to do it. Hey, thanks for thanks for having me. It's cool to be here. Um, well, what I, I I got in touch with you. I I and found out about your film uh, by another film that I believe it's Wonder Entertainment. Uh, there is that is that is that the production company? That's right. Wonder Production. Uh, they they produced Sam Yeager's film uh, Take Me Home, which. Uh, which we who we interviewed in last week's episode, and and uh, and this week uh, they they said, well, you know, we have this other film that we've been working on, and uh, you know, why don't you talk to Sean? And I was like, well, sure, why not? That sounds awesome. And uh, I was able to see the film uh, a few days ago here at the Arena Grand in Columbus, Ohio, and uh, I gotta say, it was a absolutely fantastic film. I I really didn't know what it was going into it, even after reading, going to the website and checking it out. Because you know you, you never really quite know with some indie films where it's going to go, um, and uh, I was present, pleasantly surprised. It wasn't the normal coming of age teen sort of, or really, it's not really a teenage story, so to speak. But you know, coming of age story. I, I, it was very unique, and uh, um, in, it was its own individual film, which I it's very hard in, in, in a marketplace full of stuff like that. So uh, it was a wonderful film. I'm very glad you made it, but it also feels like it was also a very personal very personal story is that true or was this a story you just always wanted to tell it's definitely a story i always wanted to tell um and it does have a personal feeling to it although you know it's not a lot of people ask me if it's my own life or my own story and it's not but i did i did write the script originally you know a little over a decade ago and um yeah and it was it was optioned by a big studio in la and, you know, we sort of have that, um, the dreaded creative differences. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So, um, you know, I put the script on the shelf for, for a decade, but kept coming back to it, kept pulling it off the shelf and adding things, um, adding things that some from my life, some from other people's lives. And, um, and you know, every time I came back to it, I, I still was drawn to it. There's still parts about it I really loved. Um, and you know, over the course of ten years, the the tech technology changed, and uh, my my access to various resources in the film community changed based on a different movie I made, and um, so finally was able to to make the film. Oh wow! You made you've made another film as well. Yeah, even an even smaller film. So um, this movie, so Derek Preston Plummer. I hope it looks bigger than this, but it only cost us like one hundred twenty-five thousand. Oh wow! Yeah, um, it looks it looks wonderful. Yeah, so I mean, a lot of people worked on it for very little or nothing. Um, but my first movie, Straight Line, was I mean, it was like a it was a classic, like almost no budget, uh, no professional actors. It was just me and some friends. I mean, my my mom is like <laughs> the third biggest actor in the movie. Um, um, but it got that that movie got into a pretty good festival and got a good review and into the right magazines and um, so helped me to gather a few more resources for this one. 
Well, that's nice because you actually have a, a, a few actors that we've seen before. Um, uh, Robert Logia. I hope I'm saying his name right. Robert Logia or is it Lugia? Uh, Logia. Yeah. Logia. Sorry. Um, yeah. Being a, I, I think I'm a film nerd. I should know that man's done tons of genius stuff. Um, and then you also have uh, Rumor Willis and. Uh, and oh my God, the name uh, escapes me right now. He plays Preston Plummer, but um, a lot of uh, hardcore geeks know him as the the lead boy in Jurassic Park Three. Um, <laughs> I know. Okay, I, I, yeah, but and, but the name escapes me right now, and I feel really bad because he del- he gave a wonderful performance as Preston. I mean, everybody did, but I mean, I was really blown away by that. Um, again, it was a wonderful little film. I was very surprised by it, and uh, yeah, but you you said. Um, you said that uh, there were creative differences, and uh, was it something as far off as like they wanted to add pop songs and make it like a super uh, spoiler alert? Some someone dies by the end of the film, and that kind of did they want to change that, or, or did they? What did they want to do without spoiling it too badly? I would say, even though I just again spoiler alert. If you haven't seen the film, by the way, iTunes you can rent it or check out your local theater uh, and see if the if if it's showing there. Um, again, wonderful film. But uh, yeah, can you talk about some of the creative differences that you want to change depending on and what you kept in that you really wanted and fought for? I mean, I think they originally wanted it to be a, a really pure genre picture. Um, so, you know, they, they, they wanted it to be, you know, either kind of like a, a straight up love story or like, uh, more of a, you know, full on kind of mystery. Um, and I think, you know, the way it is right now, it does require like a certain amount of, of patience from the audience. Like the, mm-hmm. the movie is sort of a little bit methodical in the way it sets itself up. And then there's sort of one thing, and you know, if you've seen it, I think you probably know what I'm talking about, mm-hmm. that it's sort of unexpected that happens and sort of turns things on its head a little bit. And I think they just wanted to, you know, move all the big explosions and turns a little bit further up in the script and turn it into a little bit more of a genre picture. And for me, I think a lot of the importance of the script is uh, some of the a lot of the themes and the philosophical underpinnings, and a lot of that stuff was, I think, being tr- uh, thrown out the window in the original draft by some of the, the folks at the studio. But um, it's in there now, so that's a good thing. No, right. Well, did they do one of the things where they they kept you on uh, to do a rewrite of it, with, and they tell you all the things they really liked about it, and then when you turned kept, took all that stuff and made it bit better in the second draft and they came back and said no we don't like any of that stuff we want the stuff that was in there originally but different did they do something like that too or it was sort of just like you know they were really honest about what they wanted and and the, the option was expired after a year and they basically said well if you want us to continue you know as this um as the studio to continue kind of like throwing our weight around and helping you try and cast this movie then sure. you know you change it the way we want it or you know let's go our separate ways and I sort of just said let's go our separate ways and it was all I was also um, you know I was I think I was 23 at the time and um, I not only felt that like my script was being pushed around but I sort of felt pushed around I just wasn't ready to I didn't know how to like stand up for my ideas quite yet and so um, I think I'm I'm happy that that we waited a little bit. 
Well, as someone who greatly enjoyed the film, I, I am glad you waited too. Um, I was I was I was very moved by it. I thought it was a wonderful film. I, again, I, I can't uh, stop uh, blushing over it because it really was a good. I I, I guess I wasn't. Because again, that's a lot of things with any independent film is that there's always a chance that it's either going to be it's going to be good, but it's going to be really cliche, or it's going to be or it's going to be not. It, you know what I mean? It's going to be very bad. And no, your film was actually, I, as a matter of fact, uh, one of the things is that I was like, I figured I was like, okay, this is a love story. But then the, the synopsis on the website says there's something, there's some kind of mystery that, which is what you you mentioned. There's some kind of mystery that sort of changes how things are, are being developed and everything. And and the way that it is laid out, it is actually nicely laid out where it's it, it's a bit of everything in, in that regard. It, it does the mystery, but it also does the love story, and it works in a very natural way. And and I do agree with you too that I think some people, if they don't, if they're not willing, I, I guess I'm one of those people that likes to put two plus two to, together to equal four. And I think some people, if they're not willing to do that, then then yeah, you know, I, this movie might not be for them, but I. I, I again, I enjoyed the film enough that for me the pacing was just right. It was perfect. It did equal up logically, and it wasn't cliche. You know what I mean? It, it did roll itself out nicely because I think a lot of love stories today, no matter how you look at it, there are some cliches because cliches are cliches because they really do happen. But at the same time, you know, I I think it felt very natural. It felt like I was actually almost watching a documentary between two people interacting with each other in some scenes. Um, which is very rare in film, you know what I mean? Um, so it was very good in that regard. Well, I appreciate that interpretation, and I hope other people see it that way too. I think, you know, I I, I hope a lot of people really like it. I, I guess I'll find out, you know, in the coming weeks and months, you know, if it's for everybody or if it's just for a specific audience. But I think regardless of whether or not you're really drawn to the to it, I think one thing I think you know I think we're, we're most proud of as a group is that it did cost so little, and the reason it cost so little is because I think people, very few people, really made any kind of substantial amount of. I think maybe nobody made any substantial money off this movie, and everybody just kind of looked at it as the creative project that they're interested in being a part of. Um, so I. I think no matter, you know, how you view the film, I hope it's the, the sincerity and earnestness with which we, we made this movie in like a truly independent spirit. I do hope that comes across. It, it, it does. And one of the things that I, I really liked, um, and, and you guys seem to do it too, and what's really weird is, is that um, uh, one of my uh, co-hosts of the show, uh, uh, Jerome, or Romy, he he goes down as a vacation spot every year to Amelia Island, which for those who oh, don't really? know, yeah, I've been to Amelia Island. We went, me and, and, and my friends went there one summer. And so yeah. being down there, uh, like there's this one shot that I, I was thinking about in the back of my head. I was like, wouldn't it be funny if, because there's this one stretch of, I think it was, was it 90 or 95? Um, uh-huh. it, it, there's the freeway down in Florida. Because yeah. Amelia Island's in Florida, for those who don't who are listening at home, might not know. But uh, Amelia Island's in Florida, and there's this—it's it, very lovely scenery, but it's like a weird marsh area. And then on in the distance, there's like a power plant—not a power plant, but it looks like a, a factory. Yeah. And yeah. you got that shot in there, and in the back of my head, I was like, "Man, I wonder if they're going to put that in there." Because I just remember driving back and forth down that and seeing that every time we would go anywhere, or going home, or coming to Amelia Island. And and you guys put it in there, and I was like, man, that's fucking awesome. I love that. 
um, you capture the scenery beautifully. And I, I think uh, sometimes buddy films are, you know, where they usually are traveling or they show uh, a scenic location. Sometimes they don't, I don't know, they don't capture the essence of the area. And I think you did that um, with Amelia Island. And I, have you been to Amelia Island before? Was it was it just a situation where you knew some a connection down there where it would be cheaper to film? Or how did Amelia Island come into things? Yeah, well, you know, I had a friend in film school whose parents owned a couple of um, kind of uh, seafood restaurants down there. Oh, and, wow, um, okay. And so in film school, it was a really cheap vacation to go and sleep on this person's parents' couch. Um, but I, when I was going down there, I really fell in love with the place. And I, I'm happy that you noticed the uh, the more industrial side of things, because I think that's... That's one of the reasons I really fell for Amelia Island was because um, although it is a really pretty vacation island and that's some all people see, um, there is a lot of contrast to the place. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, you know, the movie, I think, is, is really about, you know, I mean, it, is, it tries to be a lot about light and dark and contrast and, and you know, how... In any given situation, there's always both, and some of us are better at seeing one versus the other. Um, and so, yeah, we tried to uh, tried to show a lot of natural beauty, but point out that you know there's there's other things down there too. Um, yeah, I, I was, I, I mean, I, it was one of those things where because sometimes you you go to places that they sometimes show in movies, and and sometimes you just feel. They miss the mark, or it feels too commercialized. It's not something that you would really think about when you see that place. And and yeah, there is a contrast when you go to Amelia Island. It's sort of a nice destination spot, you know, as a tourist. But then there is sort of a commercialized side of it too. In in terms of beyond the tourism, like you know, the factories and and stuff like that, amidst this beautiful, almost like swamp-like area that leads up to Amelia Island. And it's just it's absolutely fascinating that you you caught that because. And again, both films, uh, Diary of Preston Plummer and even Take Me Home, did the same thing. Like you would pass landmarks that you would see driving on a freeway and usually major films uh, or even other indie films, they, they sort of skip over that. And you both films uh, just did that. And I was like, man, that's that's nice because it makes you feel like you really are driving down the road going to this place. Um, and it's just – I just find it to be very fascinating. Uh, and – one of the other things that I, I wanted to uh, to touch on was the use of uh, the use of, as you were saying, light and dark, which is which is also like Amelia Island has contrast to it. Um, was that something that was always there in the script as well in the original draft, um, or was it something that was added in later in? Um, you know, a lot of that was, I think, added a little bit later in, um, and and part of that. Um, so I have a, I, movies are like a, a compulsion and a passion for me, but they, um, you know, for whatever reason, they, they just, they don't make me that happy. And so most of my life, uh, most of my working life is spent, um, in, in medicine and I'm in a child psychiatry residency right now. And so I guess the reason I bring that, bring that up is because, um, you know, a lot of my a lot of my day when I'm with patients in like psychiatry or people that are psychotic or suicidal is spent trying to help them, you know, sort of sort through the world and figure out, you know, how to see a little bit more of the light in the world and a little bit less of the darkness. And I'm very 
Interesting. Sort of obsessed with that and, and how, how so many of us have the chance to decide which we're going to see. And so many of us have, some people, they just have horrible lives, you know, and it's impossible to escape from that. And, you know, some of us have really blessed lives and it's impossible to not feel privileged and enjoy life. But for most people, we're somewhere in between. And so I think as I experience that more and more in my working life, I kind of started putting it more and more in the script and um, made the movie more and more about, you know, this person that was trying to decide uh, which side of the line he was going to land on and, and the things that, you know, maybe helped him drift to one side or the other over time. Right. And matter of fact, uh, that was one of the, it's one of the conversations that Preston has um, with uh, uh, Katie, I believe, which is, um, you know, I feel like I'm sort of, I want to be in the light, but I can't see the light and it really bothers him. And I think that all individuals um, feel that way uh, at, at some point, you know, or another sure. where you're trying to find the positive in things. And sometimes, and there, and what's what's the old line which is like i feel alone in a crowded room it's almost somewhat similar to that kind of thought process yeah. which is you're trying really hard there's nothing but good things around you but i just can't find anything in it and i thought that again and that's a very real statement i think um too and again that's why another reason why i just really enjoyed it it was very very profound in in ways i wasn't expecting it to be and that was one of them um and Preston, as the character, noted that he got a lot of this from his grandfather in terms of his intellectual philosophy of things. Not the light and dark stuff so much, but in terms of the universe, he makes that uh, analogy at one point. Uh, is that Was that something based on your own grandfather, being that you are in medicine yourself? And uh, was he a physicist or something to that effect? And then, Or is that, again, something just for creative purposes? You know, that is, that is creative purposes. There's... Um I have no physicist grandfather, <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I, um, and I think that speaks to maybe the movie coming from a, a different place 10 years ago when, um, there are different, there are different pressures on the movie and different influences. And, um, I guess that probably comes from the fact that I, this is going to sound like such a first world problem. Um, but uh, I, maybe I can explain it. So I, I inherited sure. a terrible piece of land. Um, so the thing with that is that, you know, it was essentially a great uncle of mine died, and he had um, inherited, he had bought this land in the 70s, and it turned out to be part of a real estate scam. Oh. And it was essentially it was, it was two acres of land uh um, in Arizona, in the desert, that was a hundred yards from the largest U.S. Uh, bombing range. <laughs> so oh it was God. like, I mean, it was awful. I mean, you can't get rid of it. And essentially, all it is is you pay twenty dollars of taxes a year, and you can never get rid of the thing. But I thought it was funny to like have two acres. And at the time, when I was twenty-two, I was just excited that I was a landowner. But it reminded me of, you know, like, what what are other types of awful things you can inherit or strange things you can inherit? And I thought about a young man inheriting, like, a condo in a retirement community in Florida. And around that time, I was going down to Amelia Island for these cheap vacations. Mm -hmm. And um, so I started thinking about what it would be like for a young person to be the only 
you know, person under the age of 80 in this gigantic condo complex full of, you know, people near to death. And so a lot of the beginnings of the script were interactions between, you know, um, very elderly people and this young uh, protagonist. Um, so I think that's where the kind of the grandfather, uh, both actual grandfather characters grew out of. Oh, okay. Very interesting. Yeah, because... And by the way, what was, being that it's, this was an independent film, um, you know, there's a lot of, like, as you were saying, every no one did it for the money, um, and, and everyone did it as a passion project for them. What would you say was, for you, your biggest get and uh, from for the film, for anything, whether it be, you know, location, an actor, um, like the soundtrack, or any, I mean, anything, and then also, what was a happy accident that occurred for the film? Um, the biggest get was probably Trevor Morgan, who plays Preston Plummer, because the hardest thing to get on these kind of films is um, cast, because essentially you're asking somebody to that you don't know to spend one or two months of their life, um, you know, totally immersed in something um, that, you know, they're probably not going to profit on um, for somebody that, you know, they've never met before. Um, and once you have that first respectable cast member, then more people are likely to jump on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so even though Trevor is not famous in a way rumor is and doesn't have the award history that Robert Loja does, he is well-respected within the film community. And so oh, getting him really, it helped us to pile on other people. So he and was the first people, one? He was the first one. And then... You know, once those other actors are on board, then that helped us get, you know, Kodak on board and, you know, Panavision on board and other people that kind of lent us their stuff for little to nothing. Um, oh, wow. And as far as happy accidents goes, mm-hmm. um, to be honest, uh, I, I really don't think that we had that many happy accidents. And I think that's because the, we had so little money. Mm-hmm. We had to shoot the film so quickly <laughs> um, that you know, uh, I think other movies that shoot films, you know, uh, for longer periods of time or have more takes, you're more likely to have a happy action because there's just you're spending, you're shooting more film, you're spending more time on set. But our set was just so regimented. We had so we had so few takes. I mean, two or three takes each time. We shot the whole thing in, you know, 18 days. Um, I, yeah. <laughs> I, we didn't have room for accidents, unfortunately. Gotcha. Okay. Well, because sometimes, especially in independent filmmaking, it's all about stolen shots or like, in some cases, um, or where, uh, you know, I guess what I mean by happy accidents, where things that you plan for the best of it and, you know, uh, it doesn't work out the way you initially wanted to, but still you were able to complete what you were wanting to do. You were able to film the scene, but maybe just not in the same location. It ended up being better than how you initially planned. Little stuff like that. But again, you're right. With independent films, though, especially because there's so little money, you know, there's sometimes there's not room for accidents, but sometimes one or two always sort of sneak in or, you know. Um, well, I, I guess the happiest accident then, you know, the happiest just surely something we didn't plan for. This is very small. Sure. But in the in the beginning of the movie, in the very first scene, um, we throw all the furniture down into the bottom of this pool. Right. Um, and it's this character kind of throwing her furniture into the pool. And 
we really um, had, we were so short on time, we were behind schedule, and that scene that makes it into the movie, um, it's the second take, um, and, and there's a part where a glass um, happens to land on top of a table underwater and stick there perfectly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if we had done that a hundred times, that never would have happened again. But it was a really nice, beautiful moment, and it was just our second take. Um, that we were was planning cool. for it. That was yeah. to see that that yeah that totally is a happy accent. Um, yeah, because yeah, <laughs> well, independent film or you know, matter if it's a short film, you know, that barely sees the light of day, or or a film like this where it, it's getting a. Uh, because uh, you guys have been to a few film festivals with this, correct? Well, we got in. What we decided to do was we just we got into one that we really liked, and we sort of stopped um, because it's, at the same time we got into that one film festival, which is the Miami Film Festival. Mm-hmm. Um, Warner Brothers, you know, for that like kind of at the same time, picked up our. Um, digital distribution rights, gotcha. um, and they they said, you know, your exposure on your movie is going to be highest right after your premiere. Um, so what we'd like you to do is just premiere at the Miami Film Festival, and then a month and a half later, we'd like you to show in ten theaters across the country, and you know, um, and then let us release it digitally at about the same time, and you know that'll give us the best exposure. And so, okay. that's what we did. Um, it's a different model than it used to be a few years ago, where you would tour the film festival circuit. Sure. Um, so this is this is more what most kind of micro budget films are doing these days. Well, uh, was it Columbus considered one of those ten theaters? Um, yeah, it was, and I think. Very, very, the word, unfortunately, we did not do well in Columbus. I'm so sorry. Um, the theater I went yeah. to when I had a considerably a large, a large amount of people there, I mean, like about, okay. compared to like the last, the, the other indie film I saw there, uh, it was like about 20, 30, 40 people. So, okay. Well, S- sorry, you know, I didn't I, do better for you, man. <laughs> no, you know, we're just happy to, I think the thing is the theatrical release for a movie this size, um, the main point of it is publicity because you, you just, even though you get a lot of viewers online these days, you, you need to get that publicity through a theatrical release. And, you know, for a movie this size, like, you know, um, <laughs> any publicity is a really huge deal. So before I forget, I just want to thank you for, you know, oh. checking out the movie and giving us some attention with this. No, not a problem. Because one of the things is I, I saw the movie a few days ago and then I, also went ahead and uh, I was talking to a friend about it and they became interested in it. And they were like, oh, why didn't... And I was like, yeah, I, it, 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 it's already out of Arena, uh, Arena Grand, which is the theater here in Columbus. And uh, they were like, really? Well, it sounds like my type of movie. And I was like, well, I don't know when it's coming out yet, but maybe I'll talk to Sean about it and you can listen to the to the show. And then he apparently looked it up and he's like, it's already on iTunes to rent. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Um, and I went back and rewatched it today uh, as much as I could uh, during my lunch break from my normal nine to five gig um, and to pick up any little nuances here and there about it. And, um, you know, I, yeah, man, I, so it, it's really cool that in, in a way that the distribution is working the way it is now, uh, you know, because back then, yeah, and it, it cost money uh, even before Warner Brothers would have picked it up for digital distribution. There, you know, you, there's money involved with getting the cast there, 
getting, getting your film there, making additional copies, I would assume, um, yeah. of the film. Because um, you shot in digital, I'm assuming, correct? Or no, you shot in actual film. We shot 95% of the movie um, on you know, digitally, and then we shot about 5% on film, um, uh, on anamorphic, so like very, you know, um, really great film. But I, that's the one regret I have about it not being in as many theaters is it's, um, it's hard to see that difference. And essentially there's, there's a few moments when the character... Um, like we were talking about, starts to see the world in a little bit more of um, the light, and uh, sure. those were moments. Those were moments that we we were trying to just shoot on film to add a little bit of separation. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of that stuff is the landscape. So if the landscapes kind of pop, particularly. Yeah, um, part of that is because we shot it on film. Yeah. Wow, that's now. Do you? Um, well, what was it? Uh, now is does how long now the distribution rights owned by Warner Brothers uh is that all encompassing for like so if you wanted to take the film and put it into theaters can Warner Brothers stop you if you wanted to do that or I mean do they have a say in it at that point or is it just pure digital distribution Yeah all they all they do is all Warner Brothers is involved in is the digital distribution so like iTunes Amazon and you know video on demand Walmart or whatever but like Walmart on demand, um, but the theater stuff—that's just self-distribution. Um, and the reason you, you know, a little picture like us is happy to have something like Warner Brothers help us do the digital distribution is, you know, it's it's still you can't just upload your film to iTunes or Amazon. Oh um, no, of course it, it costs money and time. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and even if you do, you know, you'll kind of get buried there, and so. Warner Brothers helps with positioning on those sites, and you know we're we're really happy that um, they're helping us out because it, it's going to be ninety eight percent of our viewers are going to come online. Of course. Well, the reason I was bringing that up, uh, asking about that, is because um, very recently, uh, 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 being a film fan, you probably followed it. Is uh, Kevin Smith has Smodcast Pictures now, where he does the thing uh-huh. where he uh, or the, his plan is. I don't think they've actually implemented it yet for other films besides his own. But he did Red State, where he would rent out a theater, and um, he uh, again you could do like maybe once every few months, rent out a theater, do Q- live Q and A with yourself or something, and maybe get tickets that or you know what I mean sort of put the film back in the black in that regard, perhaps or I, again just spitballing there, but. Um, I don't yeah. know how how that would work. You might have to refer to them. But I, I was like, sure. I think that's fascinating that um, filmmaking is now almost a, to that point where you can do stuff like that. Um, did you guys think about yeah. Kickstarter? Yeah, we did a little bit of Kickstarter. Um, I think we, we got, you know, like 5000 through Kickstarter. Oh, wow. So we did okay. Yeah, that was all right. But, um, yeah, most of it just kind of came through. Of random people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and that's the beauty of, of, of independent filmmaking, though. You know, um, well, well. Now, was this something where did you you started on it, and then Wonder Entertainment came in later, or did you go to Wonder or have a connection through Wonder Entertainment? How did they get involved in terms of handling the film or in, in sort of helping you produce, get the film off the ground, and helping you create your vision of the Diary of Preston Plummer? The main person behind Wonder Entertainment is Jane Kosek, and she's uh, 
the other producer of the movie. And um, I was a PA on a movie, um, on a Todd Solon's movie, um, when I was in film school. And she was an assistant production manager or something. Mm-hmm. And so we, we used to commute to set together when I was living in New York you know, um, in the year 2000. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I knew her from that and I've always been in touch with her and, um, she, she helped, you know, produce, she produced my first movie. And, um, nice. so, you know, she's amazing to work with and has always really been behind the picture and waiting for the right time to, uh, you know, make it together. Sure. Well, that's, that's, that's awesome, man. Because I think a lot of independent films too, especially even no matter how much passion is behind it, if, you know, if the, if the right people are involved in that in terms of behind oh, yeah. the scenes, not just in front of the camera, you know, it, it can sometimes sadly not, you know, meet it, meet it, what I believe it, it, it's possible potential could be. And I, I think that, uh, uh, from the way that the film looks beautiful on the, uh, on when I saw it in the theaters, it's a lovely film and you're right. Some of the, uh, the, the, the landscape sequences, they did pop a bit, um, so, and that was a, 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 a very nice bonus. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, you could tell a lot of that love went into the making of the film behind the scenes, not just in front of the camera or in the script or anything like that. So that's important that you get the right people involved, like, uh, like, like her from Wonder Entertainment. Uh, now something else uh, you mentioned here earlier, and I want to, I want to sort of ducktail back into it, which was, um, you're, uh, you're a doctor and mm-hmm. yeah. How, and but you've also been a PA on films and stuff like that, and but you also sort of uh, mentioned that you know film is is a passion of yours, but it's also I it felt like you were saying a little bit begrudgingly. So um, is that just partly because you love being a doctor, but also you know your passions and sort of torn in both directions, and you can't work in both full time, or could you? And how, what what was your favorite movie growing up that made you say, you know what, I want to make a movie one day, or I want to be involved in, in, in the filmmaking process and telling stories in celluloid? I mean, I would say that like David Lynch saved my life when I was a teenager. Nice. <laughs> I mean, he he, he totally um, he was the first kind of auteur you know I discovered when I was a teenager, and you know he's maybe not my favorite director now, but he. Um, I mean, he, he's just, he was like, you know, I was a kid growing up in the suburbs and, you know, one day I saw David, I saw a racer head and I was like, oh my God, what is this? <laughs> um, and, uh, so that really kind of set a chain of events. Uh, and so it was really through David Lynch and how he inspired me that pushed me towards film school. But in the end, yeah, I found that um, I really was looking at the industry and what I like to do in it and I like to direct and that's almost all I like to do and and then I also kind of realized I I only really wanted to direct features and I felt like I only had about four to six features in me and even when I was directing I wasn't that happy it was sort of a miserable kind of (laughs) existence and very Lots of stress and, you know, yeah. very little actual directing. Really, it was mostly kind of um, yeah, <laughs> pandering to people and uh, organizing people. And there wasn't as much, you know, pure, pure kind of um, just making art as I had hoped there would be. And so it never really made me all that happy. And um, it also felt like there was something 
missing in my life. And when I found kind of like science and medicine, I, I felt more fulfilled there, but I will have to say, like, I do have to say, you know, I, for me, if I, I can't just walk away from, from the arts and, Oh, totally. Um, it'll always be a part of my life. And I, my plan is that, you know, once every five or 10 years, I'll walk away from medicine for about a year. And, you know, hopefully each time the movies get a little bit bigger and I have a little bit more tools to try and say what I'm trying to say. And, um, so, you know, I, the first one allowed me to make this one. And I hope this one allows me to make another one in five or 10 years with, you know, (laughs) Uh, a few more resources than we had this time. And um, I just hope it keeps going like that. Well, I, I mean, it'll never see the light of day. Um, I made a, I, or I attempted to make a film and uh, you know, and I didn't have any money behind it. Like literally, I, literally the only money I had went into buying an IMAX so I could edit the thing on final, final cut pro. And uh, we, <laughs> yeah. we, we borrowed a camera and it was probably, one of the most frustrating experiences of my life because I, I'm one of those uh, people that uh, it might be cliche, but I was one of those people that saw Jaws and it freaked me the fuck out so badly. In fact, <laughs> that I am afraid of water, but I really is like I want to be, I want to laugh, I want to scream, I want to, I want to invoke panic and fear, like yeah, just like Spielberg did to me when I saw Jaws, and then <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then ever since then I want to be a filmmaker and you know this, this and that and. Went to broadcasting school. Went to film film school a little bit at Wright State here in, in Ohio, and and in the end, yeah. I decided doing my own film, and it was one of the most nerve wracking experiences ever. You would have no idea, and yeah. you probably can vouch for this, how fucking annoying a lawnmower can be when you're making a film because the sound. <laughs> and and literally, we were shooting in in a suburb, and my friend's house, we were using it, and uh, fucking lawnmower four blocks away was going they were mowing the lawn and it was just echoing right into the mic it was like it like literally it was next door and we had to do the thing where we would wait all and or then we would have there was nobody there really because it was so small no one was being paid one person would have to drive around during lunch break to find out who was mowing the lawn once we found that person they'd start mowing the lawn somewhere else again five blocks away (laughs) Oh, so yeah, yeah. So I, yeah. I can totally understand it, and it was stressful, and you're freaking out because people are looking to you for answers and um, for stuff, and you give them, but you know sometimes it feels like it's going one and you're out the other. I, I totally understand. Yeah, at the end of the day, it's very stressful, and you go, "Wow, I just, yeah." But it, it's a lot of fun too, and looking back in it, because that's a fun story to tell. Is that we went looking for the lawnmower right. for for a half yeah. hour to an hour. Yeah. But, but looking uh, back, it, it's always it's always fun looking back. That's for sure. So right, but during the during the heat of it, it can be very stressful and, and very yeah. uh, nerve wracking. What what was probably the most stressful moment in Diary Press and Plumber in terms of dealing with the indie aspect? In terms of like maybe the shot wasn't right, the sun wasn't saying something. You know what was off that probably really stressed you out and it ended up being okay. You know, I think. Um, Every day we were sort of jury rigging equipment um, to try and make something look big that had very little money behind it. Um, I will say that you know everybody was working you know two to ten jobs on the movie, so um, you know it, it really wasn't it wasn't like it was all on my shoulders. There's so many people were oh of course yeah I think willing to be stressed out. I mean, for like you know. I think even just the housing situation, um, 
um, you know, my pr- producer, Jane Kosick, she slept the whole time on a, on a sofa chair and an ottoman. And, you know, oh, I wow. slept, um, I slept on the floor on some couch cushions that I pulled out the whole time. And, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, they think that, you know, just because we had Rumor Willis and Robert Loja and the film looks glossy, that it was like a glamorous experience. And um, there were some really great parts and glamorous feeling parts about it, but a lot of it was sleeping on the floor in the basement listening to um, your crewmates fart, you know. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> um Oh, but, you know, man. I think sometimes it's really satisfying to be in those situations like, you know, our camera department and lighting department, um, Miguel, the cinematographer, and, 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 and Mike, the gaffer, they, we, I was like, guys, we got to figure out a way to shoot underwater ocean. Um, oh, and we don't yeah. have 15, we don't have $15,000 for an underwater soundstage. And essentially what they came up with was, um, they, you know, they, they went, um, uh, and they bought, they went to Home Depot and they bought $50 of black, um, tarp. Um, and then they got some cinder blocks, um, and they put the tarp in the bottom of a 10 foot deep swimming pool and weighted it down with the cinder blocks. Wow. And then we, um, we had the actors, you know, dive into there and film them in this kind of black abyss. Yeah. And then we, um, and then we stuck the camera in the actual ocean. In like you know, two feet deep, not going out on the boat, and just shot some kind of, you know, light pouring through the water, um, and then we got some guy in post who was willing to put in a day for free to take out the cinder blocks and mesh the actual underwater ocean with oh, this wow. uh, black abyss that we had made, and essentially, you know, we did underwater ocean for fifty bucks with a tarp from Home Depot, uh, and you know. That kind of stuff is really satisfying because you're not just having to be creative in terms of storytelling, but it's fun to be creative in terms of filmmaking too. Um, right, finding ways around stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, because that's shot too. Yeah. Um, there's a part where, uh, for if you watch the movie, uh, for those who haven't seen it yet, and again, I'll have a link so you can, for those that want to watch it right away, and if it's not playing in your city yet, I'll have a link so you can download it or rent it from iTunes or Amazon. Uh, there's a part where uh, the two leads, uh, Preston and Kate, are, are swimming in the ocean. And, yeah, you sort of do this underwater shot where it is. It's sort of dark and murky because it's night. And um, it, it's it's absolutely it, – it reminds me of a, a documentary you would see on, like, the Learning Channel or History Channel where they go underwater into, a, into the actual ocean or lake where it's not pristine and perfect like you would see in a normal, like, big, like, billion-dollar budget film. It looks like it's a really nice documentary camera style shot, you know, um, of That's people cool. really. No, yeah, and I was like, man, this looks really well made. I, and I'm not saying that blows smoke up your ass. I was one of those things that when I watch film too, I, I look at well, how do they make that, especially in an independent film? You know, what kind of cameras and stuff they probably used, and you know, I, I, I was like, wow, this looks really awesome. How do they get that on such a low budget? And and there it is. They they did it. You guys did it all in a pool. And that see, that's awesome. Because I would have never a normal film girl would probably never pick that up. They would probably go, man, they made that in the ocean. That's, or yeah, under, yeah that's that's awesome. I see, and that, yeah, and that's that, that's fun about filming. I'm sure at the time you're you're freaking out about. It. I was like, well, look right on the film, da 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 da. Um, right, right. Now, being you guys were low budget, do you guys have um, playback when it was when it was occurring, or was it how? 
how did that work for you guys on set? Yeah, no, we didn't have any kind of, um, you know, one of, one of the typical, you know, director screens that I was carrying around with me. Um, it was, you know, mostly I would just watch the actors and then we would look at playback on sometimes on the camera itself because so much of it was digital. Um, but, you know, um, a lot of it were, you know, like I said, we only did two or three takes each time for the most part because of sure. time. Um, then also we did two or three takes most of the time because as part of our creative solution to how we were going to shoot this movie so fast, um, we thought we would, um, uh, do a lot of really long takes, um, mm-hmm. in part because I hate shot reverse shot, um, cause I just find it a little bit boring. And so we thought we would, uh, try and do a lot of long takes. And, you know, we have, I think, you know, five or six takes that are over two or three minutes. And, um, so, you know, doing that, there's only so many times you can really try and ask the actors to nail that. So we rehearsed it a few times, um, and then uh, try and try and get it within the first few. Um, and uh, so, fortunately, because the actors were talented enough, we didn't we didn't have to uh, do too much monitoring of, of everything, and right. usually turned out well. That's good. And, and, and something else to throw out there too, because some people are, are, are stickler for this. Other people do it like a normal film shoot. Um, you know, in terms of indie films, which is. Uh, you guys shoot in order or did, were you a stickler for, you know what? No, we got to shoot with the locations we got when we have them and then move on to the next thing. Or do you guys try to shoot it in order of how it played in the script? Um, we didn't pay attention to shooting in order. That stuff is, I mean, that's a luxury that's basically impossible on a movie of this size. Um, we just, we, what we tried to do mostly was we tried to, schedule things around good light as much as we could. Um, so in, in Florida, you know, at the, at noon to, to three o'clock, you have this sort of blinding, you know, summer light that doesn't look too pretty. And so we tried to get a lot of stuff towards the morning or, you know, or towards magic hour, um, when you'd have, you know, more of those kind of brilliant, um, kind of more cinematic colors that we could take advantage of. Well, as a filmmaker, uh, looking at films now, who is a filmmaker that really inspires you if you watch films now? Um, or if maybe, if not, that almost comes close to? Yeah. Um, I think, you know, if you, if you, if you watch my movie, Mm -hmm. um, and you've seen, you know, this person's work, you almost, I mean, it's sort of a no brainer and, you know, Terrence Malick is someone that has meant a lot to me, and and part of it is because of his career arc. Um, so he he made two movies um, in the seventies that you know were obviously <laughs> way better than the two movies I've made, but <laughs> nonetheless he was able to uh, walk away from film for a considerable period of time, and then you know come back and continue to um, make uh, good work and. Um, that's, you know, something I hope to do and hope to be able to leave for five to 10 years and, and be welcomed back. <laughs> well, for those of those who don't know, Terrence Malick is the guy behind the, the film that came out last year, Tree of Life. Um, yeah. Uh, now I have to ask, uh, I mean, cause that he is, he has a recent film. I take it that you enjoy Tree of Life or. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I love Terrence Malick's work. I, I think I, I appreciate his work because he's, you know, he's one of the few people out there that I think he's he's trying to hit, like, you know, he's trying to hit a home run every time. I mean, mm-hmm. he's trying to make a classic every time. And sometimes it comes across for some people. Um, I mean, uh, the Thin Red Line, you know, the World War II movie um, that yeah. he made, uh, that's one of my favorite movies. But at the same time, you know, I saw it three times in the theater, and every time people walked out. And I, I remember... You know, the first time I saw it, no, the second time I saw it in the theater, um, do you follow football at all? Uh, n- not too much, but I, general <laughs> okay, understanding well, of it, yeah. Well, so there's a, there was, um, when I was a kid, the Chicago Bears won the Super Bowl. Yeah. And uh, there was, um, there were like the 85 Bears, and the quarterback was Jim McMahon, and he was like, you know, this punky quarterback. Um, and he was like my idol when I was seven. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> And uh, I remember he was sitting, in, he happened to be sitting in the theater, like, you know, a couple rows behind me, just a random coincidence when the Thin Red Line, when I went to do that, and, you know, um, <laughs> and he walked out. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, and so it just reminded me that, you know, um, I think, you know, I really respect Malik and I love Malik, but um, I think it, sometimes it's, it's nice when he's able to make more accessible stuff like he did with, uh, I think tree of life is something that people found fairly accessible, at least for a Malick movie. Wow. Because I, you see, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed Thin Red Line and, and tree of life was clearly in a, from a filmmaker's point of view, uh, it was a wonderful film, but as a story, I was a little bit, I, maybe I think I, I didn't get it or maybe I was in the wrong mindset yeah. when I watched it. Um, and, or and you know, one, it's not his fault. Maybe it was marketing. I think it could have been too. Yeah, I actually think um, the his. I think his least well reviewed film, um, but a movie that has like um, a very cultish following among some people is that movie, The New World, um, that came out between <laughs> The Tree of Life and The Thin Red Line. Yeah, um, I re- see. I never saw that. I mean, yeah, did you? Re- I, uh, I, sorry, go ahead. I think. I think it's his best movie, like by far, and oh, I think wow. it's it's sort of inaccessible in some ways. But um, I I almost think that people didn't pay as much attention to it because the thin red line kind of confused so many people, or maybe underwhelmed so many people. Um, and then you know, the New World is essentially historical fiction, and that's not for everybody. I mean, it's about John Smith and Pocahontas, but I mean it's. It is ridiculous. You have to check it out. It's, oh, I think yeah. it's the best film by far. Yeah. Oh, I'll have to. Yeah, definitely. Because I, 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 I love. I see. I remember thinking fondly of Thin Red Line. I don't remember people walking. I do remember it came out the same time that the uh, other, um, the other. It was. I think it was a Mel, Mel Gibson movie came out around the same time. The Saving Private. Saving Private Ryan. Or Saving Private Ryan. Well, well. I thought Private Ryan came out in '95. Um, I thought there was another movie with actual Mel Gibson in it, though, where it was also like Vietnam um, or the Korean uh, War. Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I remember they, like they both people were sort of you know how Hollywood does that, where this studio released an asteroid movie, this other studio released an asteroid movie, right, yeah, and they yeah, did the same yeah, thing as like yeah. this movie. They did a Vietnam movie over here, and then we have Malick's movie over here, and yeah, a lot of people yeah. went more for Gibson's thing, and. Uh, and again, I didn't see people. I didn't understand people shitting all over. I thought it was a great movie. Um, 
But Tree of Life, I remember uh, my my friend. Uh, she's like, I really want to see this movie. Brad Pitt's in it, and I'm like, Oh, okay, sure. And uh, I didn't. <laughs> I, I honestly didn't know a lot about it, but I do know a lot of critics were coming out of the film saying it's wonderful. It's a critic type of film, and I'm like, and I, I'll, I'll, I'll fucking eat that shit up. And I walked out going, I have no idea what I really just saw. And I'm trying, and I can yeah. understand that stuff usually really well. And I was like, I have no idea what just yeah. happened. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. And I think, I think again, I think it was mismarking when I did watch the trailer and everything. I thought I was expecting a movie with Brad Pitt in it a little bit more and something I thought was some, expecting some other kind of narrative. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's the beauty of film yeah. is that you can do, do interesting stuff like that. Um, I, I guess I just wasn't expecting uh, stuff from the dawn of time <laughs> to right. appear. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Spoiler alert for those who've not seen the tree of life. Uh, but you do see <laughs> the death of the dinosaurs. Um, <laughs> uh, are you a, uh, are there any other filmmakers out there that, that really excite you that, that uh, besides Terrence Malick that you're really into or like maybe uh, like Scorsese? Uh, have you seen Hugo perchance? Um, is it bad if I say I didn't make it through Hugo? No, yeah. not at all. Not I, at all. Yeah, I didn't make it through Hugo. I, I, you know, I think recently I've been pretty enamored with um, a lot of TV shows. Um, Ooh. What TV and, shows are you into? You know, I think I'm into a, a lot of ones that are typically popular. I've got not a lot of curveballs here, but I think, you know, I've been, I've been loving Breaking Bad a lot. Breaking um, Bad, good I've show. I've loving the, the Walking Dead. And I really, I've liked The Killing a lot, even though The Killing is like basically, you know, Twin Peaks, um, but with less um, small people. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I've really been into Mad Men. I think I've just really been fascinated by um, how, I mean, how amazing TV has gotten. I mean, when I was in film school, there was sort of like, there had been Twin Peaks and there was The Sopranos. Um, yes, yeah. And then in the last 10 years, I, I, I think, you know, some of the best, if not the best storytelling is happening on TV. Um, yeah, I think it's just an amazing, large-scale, long-term, you know, really fleshed-out, full, conflicted, amazing characters are getting told on TV now almost as much or more than, than in film. Have you, uh, uh, have you seen David Simon's The Wire? Oh, man. I mean, how incredible is that show? It, yeah, I mean, and the, the thing about that show is I, I, I rented it. I saw it the first two episodes. And then I was like, this is boring. And I returned it. And then some friends, you know, a, a year later was like, man, you, you got to make it past the second episode. Give it a chance. And I made it to the third episode. And sure enough, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm done. I'm hooked. <laughs> um, and I, I just love it that there's TV out there like that, that it just takes its time and plays itself out. Are, are you a fan of The Wire? Yeah. I, 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 uh, well, what's really weird is that um, – when the wire was on, I, the only show I watched on HBO was was The Sopranos, and that's all I watched. I didn't watch Sex and the City or any of that other stuff. I started with Sex and the City, but then it got to whatever whatever the fuck it is now, which is just girl power and just craziness. It wasn't about because it, Sex and the City actually used to have a story to it, not just yeah. oh let's just drink and be hot bitches around New York or whatever the fuck it is. Anyway, 
Um, there's my man card for the show, by the way. I don't care. But, um, uh, but yeah, I just remember I would hear about The Wire. And I remember I think Rob Morrow maybe showed up in it, I, I think. I remember hearing that, and I became interested in a little bit of it, and I, but I never saw it. And then Treme, and now I started reviewing TV shows and doing the podcast and everything. And uh, Treme, which is a David Simon production, and this is after people, you know, years telling The Wire is awesome, you need to watch The Wire. Uh, it's all Treme. And, I, and I, I said, I love the show, but it moves really slow. I don't know where it's going. And But, I mean, that's one of the things I like about it. And they're like, well, dude, you should watch The Wire. And, I, and then I finally started watching it. And The Wire is freaking amazing. I love that show. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And I, I'm learning now that I think Simon worked on Homicide, Life on the Street, which I remember mm. watching that growing up. And I and remember it being a bit of a different show even then for, compared to normal yeah. procedurals. And that's on network TV. So, um, yeah. yeah, you're 100% right. I, I, I'm, uh, actually, I, I review a lot of uh, TV shows usually for examiner.com. And, uh, yeah, uh, I, have you watched Justified any? No, I haven't. Is it good? Uh well, I will say this is if you watch the first few episodes of season one, you might get a feeling of, because the whole point of the show, uh, and this was my little take on it, was he is justified to do and get away with what he wants to do. Because he's a marshal, U.S. marshal, and gets away with, he gets away with a lot of shit, but he's justified yeah. to do it. And it's one of those things where it's like, oh, isn't that clever? Uh, but it gets really boring really quick at first. But then someone said season two is fantastic. You got to start watch season two. And I went back and watched season two. It's one of the best seasons of television I've seen. It's, sure. it's very good. Um, but yeah, I TV, it's really nice that TV is the landscape now where you can tell amazing stories. Um, yeah. Yeah. And as you were saying with the killing, uh, me and my, uh, my co-host Jerome, uh, Wenzel, uh, on his TV, Jerome Wenzel TV segment, we talked about, uh, the killing and, I was really a big fan of the killing up except and again this is more I think AMC's fault which is they just said don't worry by the end of season 1 you'll you'll have a general idea of who killed Rosie Larson and the whole season right. they kept saying no it wasn't this it wasn't yeah. a councilman and then they said oh wait it is and they're like oh wait no we haven't really talked about who the killer is and I I think it was I was with the people who was frustrated but I yeah. I, I mean I stuck with it and this season is is it's really good they're playing out yeah. the the slow drama, and that's nice when, as you were saying, when a series can take its time to do that. And I think a lot of shows. I don't think if that was on network TV, you would you would be getting that. And uh, yeah. I think it's sad though too is that network TV they won't they won't they won't do stuff like that. And when they do, it's a rarity. You know, uh, right? Whatever your thoughts on Lost might be, uh, I, I think that's a rare gem that got to do what it wanted to do. Um, and ABC. Yeah, not- get away with it i really enjoyed lost great piece of pulp it was tight i watched it all the way through what were your um, thoughts on the ending by the way um well my thoughts on the ending were that i was so drunk that i can't remember the ending <laughs> <laughs> um, were you playing were you playing a, a a drinking game while watching it or was no, it like I, was, a, I was just like the thing was i was like so excited for the ending you know <laughs> and then and I was sort of like, you know, pacing myself, though, because, you know, I wanted to enjoy it. And then I was like, oh, no, it's two and a half hours. <laughs> and then I really was not prepared for that extra half hour. Um, oh, man. So I pretty much just, like, read about that in the morning. Oh, so man. Based, based on my reading, the last half an hour was very good, but I didn't actually uh, observe it with well, my eyes. 
<laughs> if you ever get a chance uh, and, and rewatch the final episode, again, I, I greatly enjoyed it. But um, if maybe from a from a from a uh, directing eye, you might find something that really bugs you. And um, they do this big square off between Jack and Locke finally, or whatever, Smokey and and Jack. And uh, mm-hmm. they do this amazing shot of Jack. He has the higher ground, and he does this like he like does this epic like superhero jump like shot. You know, it just seems epic, fucking epic and awesome. And then it it cuts to commercial. And then when you come back yeah. from commercial, they showed the wide master shot, and it looks really lame. <laughs> and I'm just like, you should have just kept just cut cut back and show like Jack pounding Jack, not or Jack pounding uh, lock, not you know show the master shot to just remind people what just happened because it really <laughs> took away from the awesomeness of what just happened. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I mean, it was yeah, it's still pretty. Uh, it's pretty cool, yeah. Because I had a lost party too. I had uh, some of my co-hosts from the from the podcast, and we had some other friends come over who who watched Lost. And uh, you also probably missed out on the big uh, what the fuck moment where they showed the the wreckage, the B roll of the wreckage from season one, and people thought, "Oh my god, they were dead the whole time, not just in season six, Flash Sideways, but the whole fucking time." And yeah, yeah. it was one of those Sopranos moments, and you know, of course, you know. Uh, it was it was pretty funny, but um, all right. Well, now I I have to actually go back and watch. It. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so the so you you really love the killing and uh, 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 Breaking Bad. Have you tried watching Game of Thrones? Uh, yeah, I I finished the first season. You know, I um, it's some of the best soft porn I've ever seen. Um, I know, and, uh, right? So, <laughs> Um, no, it's it's good. You know, I love the first episode. Uh, that was I was so excited. It was it had almost a horror element to it in the beginning. Yeah. Um, and I've been getting more into horror over the years, and so I was hoping there'd be more of that, uh, and a little bit less of kind of like you know the city council sort of element that it has to it. Um, but you know, I, it is a lot of fun, and the action's great, and the gore is great. Um, I've also really enjoyed uh, Hell on Wheels. Um, yeah, you know, I watched the pilot of that, and it was one of those shows that I was so behind in reviewing stuff, it, it, it got passed to the wayside. And uh, one of my friends who gets DVD copies, he's going to let me uh, borrow it with the first season when he gets it from AMC because I, I enjoyed it. It was just one of those ones where I was so far behind that some shows had to make, you know, a sacrifice had to be made, and that was one of them. Um, yeah, you should check it out. It has, you know, besides just a really solid story and great performances. It has a great, like, it's just like a great kind of a American epic to it. Um, it yeah. has just so many themes about how this country came to be, um, in a really, um, more cynical kind of blood soaked type way. Um, it's, it's pretty great. Um, and I, I really think, you know, I think over the last several years, I've been more into this sort of, the pulpy stuff. And I think part of that is, um, I think with my day job, you know, um, I prefer to come home and watch something that's not, um, that's not just going to make me think, <laughs> but that's also, that's also going to kind of, you know, get the adrenaline going a little bit. Um, and so, yeah, this, this may be the, uh, the diapressant plumber may be the, the last, Sean Ackerman loves story that gets made. I think the, oh, wow. the next stuff is going to be, um, 
I think what I'm working on right now is more of a like a a, a violent thriller that's um, you know sort of set in the mountains of Montana. Um, oh so wow! It's a different direction, much different direction. Well, but that's good though. I mean, it's a, it's a little bit different than what you had before. And you can test yourself creatively. Um, both as a writer and filmmaker, to try do things because that's sort of the fun of doing films. Sometimes is telling a story and telling something you want to tell that's a little bit different than what you did before. There, that's and that's awesome. That's that's why that's why we do the stuff we do like that. Um, Absolutely. Uh, when yeah. do you uh, do you? So do you feel like uh, are you hoping for not as long gestation period like Preston Plummer uh, probably? Uh, and if so, when will you probably? When would you like to get the ball rolling on that? Is it just really when the script's done at this point, or? I, I think for me, you know, I, um, you know, five to ten years is probably the <laughs> the time period in which the next one will happen, and um, you know, just when when the pieces come together. So I'll probably probably spend a few years. Uh, tinkering with a few scripts and seeing which one kind of sure. um, is the one that feels right, and you know, um, and then you know, it's you never know when the right cast person's going to come on or when the money's going to be there. And so, I think you know, it was just like with this one, I, I had the script ready for a, a few years and was you know, just sort of waiting until the stars aligned with other people's money <laughs> and, uh, and, and cast in my schedule. And of so course. I'll just kind of play it by ear again. Well, and I have to ask a sort of an addendum to the, to this question, which is when did you finish, uh, editing? When, when was Diary of Preston Plummer officially in the can? Um, well, it was in the can. So it was in the can in, um, December of 2010, and then post-production finished um, in June of 2011. Um, okay, when did the film so, premiere? It still premiered in March of 2012. 2012. So do you consider the five to ten year period starting when post-production ended or when it, the, it premiered in Miami? Yeah, I think I'll... Uh, I think five to ten years from from now from right um, this moment right now okay i yeah, i'm busting yeah. your balls a little bit but it was one of those things where like sincerely because i know that sometimes independent films they are done way before they're actually seen the live day even even uh when you know a company a, a film distributes the film online or whatever yeah. there's sometimes it's it's been done for a while so that's that's all i was asking for i didn't know and also i know you had the script for a long time too i was just yeah. trying to see if Okay. But, uh, well, Sean, thank you very much for taking time. I, I've already eaten up about an hour or so uh, of your time, and I, I greatly appreciate it. And, again, it's a lovely film. I'll have links uh, in the show notes for those listening um, uh, to, on how you can rent the film and also the website. So if there's any more screenings of the film in theaters, which I do highly suggest you see, especially for, uh, as Sean was pointing out, some of the landscapes in Amelia Island, are they're wonderfully done. And uh, as we learned on tonight's show, they're all done on film, not digital, uh, it, which, which does make it pop. So you can check that out in the theater on the big, beautiful uh, widescreen. And uh, we'll have a link to that so you can check that out. And uh, was there anything else you'd like to plug, Sean, or anything else like that you want us to mention before, before we let you go? 
Hey, just thanks so much for the interest in the film. It really does, you know, mean a lot for these uh, small indies, and uh, it was a lot of fun to talk. Yeah, yeah, definitely, man. Uh, well, uh, thank you very much for being on the show, and uh, you have a good rest of the night. All right, thanks. Cheers. Something. This is a happy place. What the fuck am I supposed to say? <laughs> what the song is that?